Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. In this episode, I spoke with Andrew Lin, who is an architect based in Washington, D.C. We talked about sustainable materials and products he uses quite a bit. And we talked specifically about the Grasshouse Project, which is actually his office in Washington. As you'll hear, Andrew is really a believer in many of the products he uses, which is very cool. We often try to avoid too much discussion of specific products on this podcast, but that is not the case in this episode. A quick disclaimer, this isn't necessarily an endorsement by Stephen Winter Associates. These are Andrew's opinions, but I really enjoyed talking with him and I learned quite a bit. We'll provide some links in the show notes for folks who want to dig deeper. I also wanted to mention uh, a couple podcasts we had, a two-parter we had back in summer of 2019, where we interviewed Charlie Stevenson. We talked more in depth about sustainable materials. So if that's an interest, you might want to check those out. Here's my conversation with Andrew. I have always wanted to be an architect. I grew up wanting to be an architect and I worked for some of the best offices I could imagine working for uh, when I was in school. And when I left school, I realized that even those offices were hampered by the material palettes that they were able to work with. And so my uh, college best friend and I set out to find a healthy building material palette. So we moved to D.C. where we felt like there was already an appreciation for the landscape and for uh, the materials that come from the landscape. There was also uh, and is in D.C. Uh, um, an awareness of and attention to uh, code and regulations and um, designing for those most in need. Uh, so we felt like D.C. was the, the place to, um, uh, to build our practice. So we moved to D.C., founded Build Us, um, and began looking at um, the materials that were available to us, although uh, not always the most popular, uh, that were the healthiest uh, for the environment and for the users of the buildings. And you're, I, I just realized the URL, your, URL your, your website, the URL is great. It's bld.us. And you, you say build us, that's how you say it? You're, yep. Like a, like but, a, like a proper Roman name, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's, uh, it's the BLD is your, is the initials of your firm. Is that, isn't that right? Uh, we, we began that... as Becker Lynn design. Okay. My name is Andrew Lynn and my partner is Jack Becker. So we began as Becker Lynn design, but, um, we've begun just referring to ourselves as build us, uh, both okay. in website and in name because we like the ethos that it promotes. All right, cool. We're about building community. We're about uh, building using American domestically sourced products. So um, Build Us is a a really nice um, uh, idea to strive for. And it's a very easy to remember URL. (laughs) Exactly. So when we when we were talking about doing this podcast a week or two ago, the the you used a term that I don't know that I'd ever heard before, which was uh, 
farm to shelter, a la farm to table, this is farm to shelter. Is, is, have I missed that? Is that something that you coined? Is that something you've been uh, thinking about for a while? I hope I haven't coined it, but I haven't heard it much, so it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. Um, you know, half of the TV that I find that's available has something to do with cooking, and even if it's not a cooking show, they find a way to bring it in. And people are very interested in where their food is coming from, how it's getting to them, who's taking it out of the ground, and how they're being compensated for taking it out of the ground. Um, that same attention and awareness has gone into the clothing that we uh, drape around ourselves. And it only seems logical that that type of um, of awareness would also extend into the built environment. So there are different uh, ways of tracking the health of a building, um, like the um, Living Building Challenge and like the well uh, uh, w uh, rating systems. Uh, but um, they're, they're very challenging. I, we've tried to uh, work within uh, those requirements and in DC middle-class housing, it's, it's really not feasible without subsidy of some sort. So we've been looking for a farm-to-shelter material palette that is affordable to the middle class, that doesn't require a whole bunch of soft costs sunk into uh, applying for different ratings and, and, and um, you know, different uh, certification systems. And um, we're, we're just looking to bring uh, affordable, healthy housing to... Uh, the people that need it and who are um, reliant on Home Depot and Lowe's. And nothing <laughs> against Home Depot and Lowe's. They are uh, getting with the program almost quicker than uh, many of our clients. Um, yeah, I thought that was a very, it was it was kind of interesting for me to hear that, that term, uh, just using local sustainable materials, uh, farm to shelter. We've all heard farm to table. Um, it was it was a pretty clever, pretty <laughs> clever term. I thought. So, uh, I guess the the project that we started talking with you about, and Stephen Winter Associates worked with you a little bit on it, is uh, is called Grass House, and it is, uh, it is it is it your office? Is it your primary workspace, studio space? Yes, it is. Okay, and it's it's an outbuilding. Uh, well, actually, yeah. Could, could you describe what it is, where it is? Yeah. So the grass house is uh, basically a compostable uh, accessory structure built behind an 1892 Queen Anne Victorian house at the foot of the Frederick Douglass house in the Anacostia Historic District. So this is east of the Anacostia River. It's the only historic district in Ward 7 and 8 of D.C., uh, even though there are a few others that deserve to be historic districts. Um, but we, we that's where we work from. We do a lot of work there. Uh, it is a place that um, has a, a pretty diverse, eclectic um, set of styles within its historic district, but um, that's within a, a, a time span of about the 1880s to the 1910s. So um, we're, we're working within that vernacular and trying to... Um, uh, design and build a building that is as healthy as possible. We ended with, uh, we ended up with a lead platinum rating on it, um, and is as uh, 
sort of affordable or at least um, speaks to different affordable moves um, so that we could use it as a showcase and bring in different potential clients and um, different people who are interested in it, different neighbors, um, so that they could see uh, possibilities. So we have a, a fun stair, we have a fun window detail, we have a fun bathroom countertop detail, um, and we usually tell our clients that they could pick one or two of those details um, to really uh, play with in their house. Uh, but in addition, we're, we're trying to showcase as many uh, different healthy building materials and natural finishes as possible. Yeah, so folks can go to bld.us and there are pictures there, which are which is pretty cool. The first thing I noticed when I looked at the pictures was this is a very small building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I think it what it was it a like a two hundred and fifty square foot footprint or something like that. Correct, and for that okay. reason, we went down and uh, we we dug out a basement, which. In general, we're not typically fond of, but we, we wanted to maximize the square footage that we were able to have, but we wanted to keep the um, overall massing as small as we could. So you used a term a couple minutes ago. Uh, I think you said it's a compostable structure, which I understand, but does that term have great optics? Or does that, I, I mean, the first thought is, hmm, it's going to rot quickly. Uh, do you run into resistance with that with that phrasing? Does it test well? <laughs> um, I mean, the people that I'm uh, quote unquote testing it with are very into the idea right. because we quickly explain that the techniques that you use to build the building require um, you know attention to detail, and you you pull the the wood or um, compostable material up off the ground a little bit and you protect it with big overhanging eaves and use a nice uh, breathable uh, uh, rain screen system so that the whole building can breathe. When, when, you, when you approach a building trying to find the places where it will fail, uh, which are almost always related to water or moisture in some way, when, when, you, when you approach the design uh, with that as your priority, the fact that the materials that you produce it with are compostable, um, it isn't an issue. So at the grass house, we have a, a slate and copper roof. You know, you're not going to find a more durable roof than ours. We have big overhanging eaves. We have a breathable uh, exterior cladding system. We have a concrete base that comes up uh, two and sometimes three feet uh, up, up off the ground so that all of our uh, bamboo and wood uh, framing system is uh, away from rain, and um, we we collect all the water that uh, you know falls off of our roof, and we we harvest it in a cistern. So, when you have control over the water, or at least when you have respect for the water that is trying to degrade your building, um, you, you're able to make the building out of healthier materials. So you mentioned bamboo, and that's where the name grass house comes from, I believe. Maybe I, maybe I assumed that, but I believe that's where that came from. You're right. Can, can you talk about the, the wall system a little bit? Yes, I'd love to. I love uh, BAMCOR. I'm one of their biggest fans. Um, BAMCOR is essentially the mass grass to mass timber. Um, so it is a, a lighter weight uh, version of the same principles that are being applied in mass timber. Um, and, 
as uh, many of us have come to realize, mass timber doesn't have great implications for the single family and low rise residential markets, but BAMCOR does. And that's exactly where BAMCOR is at its best. So uh, BAMCOR has been refining this panel system and what the panels allow us to do is build without studs. And that gives us continuous insulation cavities, which gives us incredibly uh, high performing uh, wall systems that allow us to contain either the hot or the cold air that we're creating. So we're able to uh, input very little energy into heating or cooling a BAMCOR house. You're able to, to reach passive standards um, almost you know, effortlessly uh, because you're removing all of the standard thermal bridges, uh, which is what exterior insulation envelopes attempt to do um, and do. Uh, but BAMCOR does it in a in a more integral, uh, more high-performing way. And this is I, I'm not I don't have any first-hand experience with this product, but it's you know it's a panelized uh, approach. So like the walls, all the walls come on a truck or a pallet or a couple pallets, and then you you know all uh, cut in the right dimensions and labeled, and it's um, you know piece it piece it together on site pretty quickly. I I imagine. Very quickly, and a, okay. a, a real benefit of BAMCOR over other systems uh, like SIP systems or pre-manufactured systems is that these are panels that you and I could lift, and I don't know what you look like, and I know that you <laughs> and I could lift them uh, because it's it's essentially a piece of drywall. So you're able to remove drywall, you're able to remove studs, you're able to remove OSB sheathing, and you have these uh, packets of of pre-cut. Um, wall panel, um, wall panel uh, um, delivered to the site. You you pop them off the truck and up onto the site, um, almost like an IKEA structure. Um, they they used to have you screw them in, and now you're just nailing them in. So uh, very simple um, and very simple to uh, take apart. You know, someday in the future, um, these panels are unbelievably durable. They they're uh, made from bamboo, which is um, in, in some cases as strong as, uh, you know, different types of metal, stronger than different types of metal. And um, that allows for the panels to have sheer strength to them. They're bulletproof. They perform extremely well in hurricanes. Uh, the, the makeup of these walls uh, and these wall sections allows you to uh, have thinner or larger wall cavities. So um, these these walls are just as high performing and cost saving as they are in in, in Florida as they are in Vermont. Um, so we can put some links in the show notes because I mean I talked to you you described the system a little bit, but I didn't get a full picture until I went watched looked at some pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as the podcast is only audio, <laughs> we can certainly link to it because it's right. pretty cool. I I didn't get a full picture of how all the pieces went together until I. Uh, went to the website and it seemed like a lot less material because we I, I my understanding is they are trying to grow bamboo domestically but they are not yet so a lot of this a lot of the material gets shipped a long way but there's much much less material it looks like is that a big piece that goes into it being a carbon winner it's a huge piece there's less material there's less material waste and bamboo is um, the best uh, sequ- carbon sequestering uh, organic material that exists. So the more bamboo we can use, the better. Uh, bamboo, unlike wood, 
retains the carbon that it sequesters even while it's being harvested because it gets um, clipped like grass, not mowed, not clear cut, but clipped. Um, and so uh, a, 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 cl a clean bamboo grove is healthier and taking out combs that are ready to be harvested makes for a clean bamboo grove. Um, so the more bamboo we can use, the more bamboo we can plant and store in the built environment, uh, the, the more carbon we're going to be able to sequester. So um, even though uh, right now that BAMCOR is bringing bamboo in from places like Central America uh, and South America, um, which are still relatively close given that we get dug fur from uh, Washington State or Oregon, um, they're, they're, they're working on uh, creating a domestic supply of bamboo, but there's already so much bamboo around the world that we just need to find more ways to use it in the built environment. And insulation. You can use any insulation with this panel system, but you went with wool, which again, I don't have any firsthand experience with. Not mineral wool, but like sheep's wool. Is, that, is this the first time you'd used it, or is this one of your kind of go-to materials? It has become a go-to material since working on the grass house because we we love working with it so much. Um, it it doesn't outperform other uh, materials more than the other um, healthy materials that we're looking at. So BAMCOR is exceptional compared to wood stud framing. Wool is exceptional compared to fiberglass. Uh, but being able to touch wool it feels so good. It feels good to stuff it in the house. It feels good to know that you can breathe it. Um, that the sheep's wool um, absorbs VOCs that are in the air, but does not produce any. It expands over time. It wants to return to the state that it was in when it was on the sheep. So um, those cavities, you know, are going to be full, and they're not going to have any sagging, um, sagging spaces, which is especially so it, yeah. It expands over time. It expands over time. Every, every piece of wool that comes off of a sheep, it, it grows in a certain way on that sheep. And then we pack it into a bag and we send it to a construction site and then we pack it into a wall cavity. And it wants to return to that sh the shape that it was in when it was on the sheep. Uh, okay, so, kind of elastic. Yeah. A little bit of elastic. Because I, yeah, I mean, I certainly have wool clothes that do not expand over time. They do the opposite, but that's a different... Different thing we're talking about. Yeah, that wool has been processed and it's been cleaned in a different way and it's been strung out into yarn and then it's been, you know, sewn into a textile or a fabric. Yeah, and yeah. Um, here it's 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 being cleaned and um, treated with an anti uh, a pesticide um, in as simple and sort of light of a way as possible, almost like when you're making. Um, a pastry and you're trying to handle the dough as little as possible so that you can keep the air in the dough. Um, that, that's the way that they, they treat this wool. And it, it seems here again, it's, I don't have any experience with it, but it seems that raising livestock for an insulation material would be pretty carbon intensive, but I assume you or somebody has crunched the numbers and found otherwise. Is that accurate? That's well. That's accurate when you think that the alternatives are um, recycled denim that has already gone through some pretty awful, you know, um, pieces of life, or or not recycled and just denim, 
which will sag in the wall cavities. Um, you know, fiberglass is not produced in a great way. Mineral wool, uh, which is in invaluable in cities in certain applications, um, has a pretty bad reputation in the communities that it's produced in. So it's not like there are um, great alternatives yeah. out there. There are um, certainly nice ways of raising sheep um, that, that are good to the sheep, good to the ground. Um, and, and in some areas that we're working in, um, people are advocating for livestock rather than maintenance of grounds, large-scale grounds using lawnmowers and things like that. So, um, uh, the, you know, there are, there are trade-offs, uh, but the, the way that the wool performs is exceptional. The material that I could see that could um, enhance the use of wool would be mycelium. And I know that Ecovative is uh, working on um, and, and has always thought about different ways that they could use their mycelium product, uh, which is the roots of mushrooms, um, in the built environment, because then we could really be growing our insulation. Uh, but sheep's wool is an incredible performer. There's an abundance of it right now. Um, a lot of the wool that's produced is not acceptable to textile manufacturers, and there isn't really use for it. There isn't a market for secondhand or thirdhand wool in the U.S. yet, but if people start asking for it, then um, I think it would be a great, a great solution to stuff that into wall cavities, BAMCOR wall cavities. Yeah. Cool, cool. So in the roof, you had to go more conventional, I think you said. You had to use foam, is that right? We are insulating our roof with foam, yes, um, and that's so that we can have a, a, a pretty small roof cavity. We had a 20-foot height minimum or height maximum because we're an alley house, and we wanted to fit two stories in. So um, it's a it's a relatively tight uh, insulated cavity, but it allowed us by staying tight there. It allowed us to vent um, and insulate on the top um, above the decking, but below the actual roofing. Uh, so we, we're roofing with slate, um, and that sits on top of a black locust sort of raft of eaves and um, timber members that hold pieces of exterior insulation, um, and that sits on top of this unvented roof cavity. So, I mean, is there any reason other than kind of R value per inch, is there any reason you could not use wool in a roof assembly? No, wool would be okay. exceptional, and they're making um, wool in bats. They're making wool as loose fill, so it can be sprayed in, blown in, um, which would be a perfect application for a roof, um, for, for an attic. Um, wool, I, I would love to, to only use wool uh, and cork and mycelium as my insulation materials for the rest of my career, mm -hmm. and I think it's amazing that we could be, um, you know, having house stuffings with our clients and their families with sheep's wool in the same way that communities used to do roof raisings or things like that, just so that they know that um, what used to be the, the toxic poisonous phase of the construction period um, when you're, you know, stuffing your walls with fiberglass or foam is now a, 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 a thing that the whole family can participate in because it's so healthy. We'll see if we get any comments about calling fiberglass toxic <laughs> <laughs> well it's it, it is not something that anyone wants to breathe in that's for sure and yeah yeah the fact that pregnant women aren't supposed to be around construction sites during certain phases 
Like we would like for our compostable houses to be able to be built with with pregnant women as their <laughs> GCs. You know, there there's it's unacceptable for for our buildings to be poisonous for a certain phase and to assume that they're going to just air out. That's how that's how we feel about that. So talk about the siding a little bit. And again, I encourage people to go go to bld.us to take take a look at some pictures. The siding is pretty cool and the the whole siding assembly i think thanks the cladding um is produced by resan timber company they are a very cool pennsylvania-based company that's doing research into different uh, methods of finishing wood uh, sometimes the charred wood uh, use, using the japanese technique sometimes they're mixing that with certain stains and oils and finishes uh, they're using a lot of wire brushing, and they have these really um, cool assembly lines that are sort of pizza pizza oven style, but they you know um, char in two different temperatures and wire brush in two and stain in one, um, and they're able to get these pretty nice finishes. Uh, so we we have a very simple product from them. It's a it's Atlantic Cedar. We worked with them to. Um, source Atlantic white cedar, which they hadn't done before. It's, it was um, considered sort of too shabby before. Um, and now it seems like there's a demand on their website for Atlantic cedar because it's, it's more local than red cedar or even the cypress that comes from the southeast. Um, so we have a really nice um, black cedar siding and that is sitting on furring strips that are at diagonals because our cladding is at verticals so um, we we wanted to pull our cladding off of um, the the main building structure using the furring strips um, and and those diagonal furring strips are crossing at our corners so sort of like how stone is coined um, we're coining our furring strips at the corner cool and, and yeah, you, you used a lot of other wood for a, a local, I mean, local materials, I think mainly wood for interior finishes. Um, and again, the pictures, I think there was a bench detail that looked pretty cool. And the stairway, like you mentioned, was, was a very cool design element. Did this come, how, how much of it came was you deliberately going out to find something to do what you wanted to do? And, and how much of it was, hey, I have a great source for, for a black locust or willow or walnut or how did, how did, how did those pieces come together? So we're, we're trying to put together the ideal healthy building palette for the mid-Atlantic and okay certain of these materials just perform better in certain applications than others. And uh, that's the case whether it's bamboo or willow or wood uh, and the different subspecies of each of those. So um, willow is great for uh, interior guardrails and screens. And so that's why we wanted to use willow for our three different interior guardrails and we um, took different strategies as to how those were designed and built so that we could um, learn ourselves and so that we could show clients uh, what's possible. We um, knew that on our exterior, we wanted to use black locust because it is a very local, very uh, abundant wood that 
performs just as well, if not better, than mahogany and ipe and all these other tropical species. Uh, so if we're going to be importing bamboo, we want to do it for the right reasons. If we um, don't need to import wood because we have this other tree that's everywhere and just not used that much, um, we're going to use that. So all of our exterior wood, all the big members in the roof and the bench uh, and the, the sort of pergola over the front door, that's all black locust. Um, and we loved working with it. It's kind of um, a fussy wood. It, it moves and it... It turns a little bit, but if you can um, sort of brace it with itself, so we're kind of making little weaves out of it, then it locks mm. into place and um, it just it's it it wears over time really well. It doesn't it's not impacted by uh, water, um, and and we expect it to be just fine for 50 years or so. Um, on the interior, cool. we're finding uses for a few different trees that we knew. Um, we needed to uh, take down in the neighborhood. So uh, seven blocks away from the grass house, there were a few trees hanging over um, a, a commercially rented parking lot where food trucks were parked. And those trees were only being held up by some grapevines um, that were like <laughs> huge and, and holding them back. And so we felled those trees. One was a mulberry and one was a walnut. And we use the mulberry for all of our handrails and on the stairs and a few other interior details. And we use the walnut for our um, beautiful uh, stair slabs. The, the walnut was basically purple. Um, oh, so wow. it, was, it was great. And we use one of its big branches as our um, handrail up on the second floor. Um, and we use some leftover wood for um, the, the bathroom countertop and the toilet seat. And we really... It we, we used it like a buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about all about the panelization for the main, for the main for the walls for the main you know systems in the home and and I think you know in talking with you earlier panelization is a uh, uh, a pretty strong interest. Kind of on on the other end of the spectrum though it's just kind of this custom custom details using local trees which is kind of it's it's kind of entirely different than standardization and panelization but um they're they seem pretty complementary can you talk about the i mean can you talk about your goals i just how how far you want to panelize versus customize yes and it's a great question um and it's it it you can kind of think of it like um, the Tesla Cybertruck, which is, you know, rolling off the factory assembly line with as few pieces as possible versus a really high-end sports car that has hand-detailed, um, hand-done details, handmade details. Um, we don't, we don't, and BAMCOR doesn't want to take anyone out of business um, or, or, or take laborers off the site, um, I should say. We, we want to, we don't want to, um, remove work uh, and remove workers. We want to be able to build more affordable housing because there's a shortage of affordable housing uh, in a healthier way. And so if we can redirect the labors of the, the workers um, away from places like painting walls, and we know that um, uh, uh, painters have higher rates of cancer uh, because they're interacting with paint all day long, 
um, if, if we can take them away from painting because we're charring and finding other ways to finish our interior wood panels uh, instead of drywall, um, then we can redirect them and have them working on some of these nice handcrafted details using wood and we can have more of a carpenter-like industry uh, like we used to have 100 years ago um, when chestnuts were popular and when houses were hand-built and when craftsmanship was uh, appreciated by people. And you can see it in, in, in the food um, industry that craftsmanship and um, quality and materiality has become very important, so much so that uh, these companies like McDonald's and you know the, the big fast food chains are having to become their version of farm-to-table. Um, so we're hoping that construction can um, tend away from the materials that we are left with um, after World War II um, and, and tend towards the materials that make sense for the health of, of the inhabitants and the health of the planet. So if we talk again in five or ten years, what do you think we'll be talking about. It's like, what, what systems here do you think will become standardized? What new do you think we'll start seeing more and more of down, down, down the pipe a few years? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that BAMCOR is ideally suited for producing housing in large, large quantities. So, you know, ideally it's not subdivision tracks. Ideally it's denser housing than that so that we're, not having to eat up the entire landscape. But if it is subdivision tracks, if a developer is going to do that, then I hope that they're building with BAMCOR, not because they want to be green, but because they know that they can market the energy savings to their customers. And um, that will allow that and an acceptance in cities of BAMCOR uh, in the low-rise residential sector, which I think will come more naturally, um, I hope will lead to BAMCOR having a real impact and bamboo having a real impact on the framing systems of, um, of, of low-rise residential all across the country. Um, I, I think sheep's wool is going to be sold on the shelves of one of these big hardware stores in the next five years, if not pr probably much sooner than that. Um, I think cork cladding um, has exceptional potential. Right now there's a need to put cork into use uh, across the world because there's all these cork plantations around the Mediterranean that are no longer supplying wine bottles with cork uh, because they've turned to metal. And cork is a fantastic exterior insulation material which is now required by code um, and can, can double as a cladding system. Uh, so Bark is, a, is another great exterior cladding material, uh, but bark is a little more boutique, a little, um, a, a little less performative in that it's not insulating, um, and, and cork is, is just exceptional at it. So um, I, I hope that the popularity of cork as an insulative material, um, as a cladding material, as a flooring material, will start to come back um, because it was very popular in the U.S. before World War II um, and before the foam industries were required by the needs of world, you know, of a war. Um, so, yeah, uh, and, and if, those, if those three major products, ba bamboo, wool, and cork, are finding their way into more intelligent uses of wood, then I think we have a really, um, a really bright, 
material palette for everyone to get their hands on. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you for this has been a great conversation. Thanks for uh, taking some time to talk. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Andrew. Check out the show notes for links to some of the info we talked about. Buildings and Beyond is produced by Stephen Winter Associates. We're focused on making buildings better, more sustainable, more healthy. Also, accessibility, efficiency, resiliency, comfort. Check us out at swinter.com. That is swinter.com. Swinter.com slash podcast is where the show notes live. And check out our careers page if you're looking for opportunities. We have uh, positions posted for all of our offices, Boston, Connecticut, Manhattan, and Washington, D.C. Thanks again to Andrew, and thanks to the podcast team here at SWA, Jade Alvarez, Dylan Martello, Heather Breslin, Alex Mirable, Kelly Westby, and I'm Rob Aldrich. Thanks. Thanks.